Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello, hello. Welcome back. John Jensen, live. FixTheNation.com. And as you know, if you are a follower and a frequent visitor to my show, then you understand that I'm running as a writing candidate for the state of New York for the U.S. Senate. That's right. Time to dump Chuck Schumer. Up Chuck. That's my phrase. Um, it's a catchy slogan, but I'm not a negative man, so I just think it, it more is funny. I don't know him. I will never meet him. Uh, Chuck Schumer is a very interesting cat, in my opinion. Think about this. Ready? If you're a millennial or a Gen X, I want you to try to picture this world. Can you imagine graduating college, coming out with your degree, and your first job after your scholastic achievement is state legislature. And the only thing he's ever known since that moment has been government. That's who we're dealing with. People say, oh, you're angry. No, I'm not angry. Not at all. I mean, God bless him. You know, he and his family have done ridiculously well. You know, he has everything that life has to offer. He is in the 1% to 2%. He is absolutely the elitist establishment career politician that has been there, done that. He gets money from outside the state and from the upper crust. And people like me and you, who are we? We're a number. We're a, we're a, we're a cog. You know, we're a grunt. We're that nameless face. There's no version where he can relate with us. None. I personally, I have the mortgage, the wife, the two kids. Okay? I have the stress of a job. I feel every ripple that the federal government and the state government impose on all of us. I have dreams and I have flaws. That being said, though, a couple things before I get into the meat and potatoes of tonight. To the New Yorkers who are listening to this, I need two things from you. One, on Election Day, November 8th, I need you as a protest vote against what Chuck Schumer has not done for us in this state of New York to write in John Jensen for U.S. Senate. You are protesting that he should not win by a landslide for not doing his job in the 18 years he has had to do it. Number two, I need you to grab this link. Go to my Twitter, uh, Twitter account, at Fix the Nation. Okay, grab the link and send it off into La La Land, out to your friends, to your family. Post on your Facebook site. Instagram it, etc. Get the word out and let them make up their own mind. Share it. All you have to do is click, copy, paste, send. It is not that big a deal. And then to them, let them make their own decision. Because one of the great things about this country is one, freedom of expression. If you, if I hate what you're saying, 
I want you to have the right to go say it. Now, you can't infringe upon others' rights, but the flip side is I want you to have your, your voice. Quick little story. Back in California when I went to school, the, there was a free speech area, and there was literally a brick. It looked like a milk crate. You're seeing those things, right? You know, flip over a milk crate, you stand on it. That's about what the size of this brick little piece was. But that was almost like a, the stage, the podium, if you will. So if you had something to say, you'd walk up, you'd stand on that little brick milk crate, and you'd, you'd speak your mind. And it might be funny, it might be political, it might be economic, it might whatever. You know, you might stand up there and sing, quote poetry. Who cares what you say? As well, pass by, we kind of like pause, listen, like it, stay, not like it, move on. But it was a way we got to kind of intermix and, and hear from the other side. To me, one of the healthiest things about college is that interaction, okay, that, that, that dialogue, that debate. It's sad to me when I watch TV and I hear about all these universities of, well, oh, no, no, it's hate speak. Um, what's hate speak? If I say go die, I get it. That's hate speak. But hates vote for Trump. That's not hate speak. Might be a difference of opinion. Immigration reform is not hate speak. It's a difference of opinion. It's not, I hate Hispanics. That's not what someone said if they were to say something like that. Right? That's, that, that's, let's, let's not get out of control here. Now, again, context is everything. Right? In what context? That's one of the things, you know, the, the WikiLeak thing with Hillary. It bugs me, but part of me says, it's out of context. I mean, think about it. How many emails do you send a day? And if we just randomly grab one of those, you know, thousands from your past, and just pull out a line from it, or half of a sentence from it, you don't think I could find something that's embarrassing? or something that it, it would be taken completely the wrong way? I don't think that's the point. The point is, did you or did you not do something? Or in this case, expression, hear it the way it's supposed to be heard. Right? Anyway. So, going to move on from there. I'm going to go to Trump today. Very interesting day. One, he's a beast. I try and do a radio show almost every day, and I can't do it. It's exhausting. And for anyone who's ever campaigned, who's ever, I don't know, been in, in, a, in a public forum and had to do it and do it and do it over and over and over again, it's like teaching a class, okay? If you're a professor in university and you have six classes a day and you have to bring it full throttle six times a day and repeat that five days in a week – that's a healthy load. Now, most people don't do that. Most people have a couple of glasses and call it a day. Or they have classes three days a week. Or they have classes, but, you know, the TA teaches. Or they start a dialogue and they step back and the class take over. They, they, they work around it. Trump doesn't 
And I give him tremendous credit for that because it does take a boatload of stamina to do that. I want you to think about this question because I have, and it just stuns me. Can you imagine what Obama would have got done if he had remotely close to the work ethic and stamina that Donald Trump does. Would you think about that for a second? I'm going to say half the time he was on the golf course or on vacation or not working. Would you think about it? half in eight years? Did he work four years? And that's not that's not a, a, a I'm not trying to slander him. That's not my point. To each his own. But can you picture Donald Trump spending more time on a golf course than working? Do you think he'd actually have a business left if he had done that? He has to show up every day. He's got to get it done. He has deadlines to meet. That's kind of how his mind works, right? So he's doing like four different speeches today in a day day and he's done that forever in this campaign he just keeps pounding away and i truly do believe on november 8th that does pay dividends we'll see how much or how little but i tell you one thing it it can't hurt him if he wouldn't hit under a rock right now it would hurt him he's out there just hammering away and he's recently tweaked his message. And I will t- I will say this. I'm going to take a little private, you know, just a little private moment, pat myself on the back. When I start creating the uh, reality party, uh, you can find that uh, via FixedNation.com website. The reality party is kind of a third-party comprehensive option I'm working on. And uh, there's a platform there, etc. That being said, one of the things I came up with was was a contract with America. If if I were to quote unquote run for president, let's let's pretend, okay, or if I were you know in the Senate or I was a establishment Republican, I would have grabbed this thing six, eight, twelve months ago and been hammering away with a contract with America for 2016. Go back to 1994 when the the original. It was phenomenal, right? going to rapid fire down the 12 there. My contract with America that, by the way, this is weeks and weeks and weeks ago I put this out, require all laws passed to be pay-as-you-go and have a true path to pay for it within the budget. Two, require a vote to repeal and replace ACA, Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, in the first 100 days. Require all laws that apply to the rest of the country also apply to Congress. Require a vote to tax reform within the first 100 days. Require a vote on immigration reform within the first 100 days. Pass a balanced budget on time in year one and start a process for a balanced budget amendment. Require an internal audit of the Federal Reserve and clarify the dual mandate role. Require a vote on Supreme Court nominee within the first 100 days. Require a review and repeal process to establish to be established to eliminate burdensome regulations. Require a vote on term limits for both Senate and House Republicans. Uh, sorry, representatives. Require a vote to repeal or replace Dodd-Frank and include a reestablishment of Glass-Steagall 
And lastly, require a vote to consolidate uh, cabinets or departments from 16 down to 8 in the first 100 days. Okay. Now, forget whether you agree or disagree with that. Here's the point. Now that I've rattled off those 12 Contract America, you know, bullets, things that I completely to my core believe would be great for this country, we are now highly focused, highly aligned on where I'm going to take this country, right? So you can vote for me if you agree with it. You can not vote me if you don't agree with it. But at least you know where I stand. So I'm back to Chuck Schumer. Has not campaigned. He doesn't need to. He's going to win by a landslide, 60-something percent. Why? One, $22 million in a war chest. Two, Wendy Long has raised $150,000 on a couch somewhere doing absolutely nothing, in my opinion. I'm sure she's doing more than that, but you get my point. She's not actively fighting for the state of New York. And that's why I'm here. That's why I'm on this radio, and that's why I'm talking to you. If you are in the state of New York, and you believe in your heart of hearts that we are on the right path in New York, it is just wee la-la funland. Vote for Chuck Schumer. Have a good day. If you believe that New York has issues and challenges and problems, and part of those problems exist outside of our state, meaning things like taxes are too high, there aren't enough real jobs, too much regulation, can't start my own business, Obamacare is bearing me, not helping me. If you believe that immigration should be dealt with, criminal justice needs to be dealt with, Poverty in the inner city must be dealt with. At what point do you look at Chuck Schumer and hold him accountable for 18 years of nothing? Nice guy, that's what I've heard. Wonderful sound bites. Loves the media. Hasn't met a camera he doesn't like. Fine, all well and good. He unleashed Glass Steagall. He voted for Dodd-Frank. That means he allowed the banks to commingle your deposits with investment money when they were too big to fail. How did that work out for you? He's for open borders, by the way. You know what that means, right? Don't you think 9-11 and wonder where those people came from and that their brethren are now being unvettedly allowed into this country because of open borders and Chuck Schumer and Hillary Clinton, and ask yourself a simple question. How does that make you feel? So let's get back on point. A couple days ago, I talked about my, I will call it my economic plan or platform, and went down a, a, a laundry list. And it was lengthy, it was detailed, because one of my frustrations is in this wonderful, entertaining year of 2016, the election of 2016, one of my frustrations has been not nearly enough discussion about the meat and potatoes, not nearly enough about the issues themselves. Where does Hillary stand on this? Where does Donald Trump stand on this? You can't hear it. You know I can't hear it? 
because she's corrupt and he's grabbing stuff. That's all you hear. Forget truth. It just all, that's all the news companies produce. It's pathetic. Like again, this is this is not reality TV. You understand that, right? On either side of the aisle. This is this. I'm I'm completely across the aisle on both sides. Make bank on this. This is not reality TV. This is for the presidency of the United States. This is to elect the person who will govern the only remaining superpower. Larry Lindsay made an excellent comment the other day. I'm going to screw it up, but I'm going to try. It was something effect of most people judge this election as the lesser of two evils. The question you should actually ask is, which is the worst of the two evils? Or I think what he said was, which of the two evils will hurt you more? And the reason he made that distinction was, the lesser two evils, you can sit there for the end, the, the, till the end of time and not come up with a true answer. Because both candidates are highly flawed. Let's just say it. If you love her or love him, it doesn't matter. They're not perfect candidates. They aren't great candidates with a little hiccup. They're, there's a whole, whole world that we don't like on both sides. Let's just put that out there and accept that it's true and move on. Okay. But if you think about who will hurt you more, hmm, that kind of puts a different wrinkle. Because she'll let people die and not respond. She will lie and deceive and put America in harm's way with national security. He might or might not be a womanizer. But I can't think of what he's done that will put America in harm's way. And as distasteful as he might be, he's not dangerous in that sense. So I want to take a minute and wrap up the economic piece that I covered because as it's amazing. When you think you have an hour, an hour on the radio is a heartbeat. That's what it feels like when you're doing this. And I say that because, one, I don't work from notes. This is, this is unhinged. This is just right from the heart. You know, I sleep and breathe this information. So it's not like I have to sit there and do a lot of, oh, a lot of legwork and really map this out because I don't understand it. No, that's not it. I understand it wonderfully. I'd love, love to have an interaction with someone like a Chuck Schumer because he's, he's spent a bazillion dollars on an education, and he is in the stratosphere of the elitists, way above me in the food chain. I'm just a worker bee. I'm just a guy from New York. I'm just a guy like you and me. I just, I'm, that's as simple as I'm going to say it. I want your protest vote, but make bank on this. You're not going to elect me because of a resume. You're going to elect me because I've got ideas, passion, policy, and I will be your bulldog 
to get this done. That's why you're going to vote for me. But trust me, I don't care if you vote for me. Vote for Mickey Mouse. Just don't vote for him. And the reason I say it that way is he's given you nothing for 18 years short of take your vote, take your money. That's all he's done. Literally, all he's done. Let's take a small step back. He's done more than that, but it's not good for you. I'm trying to be kind. Let's talk just general policies. Is he for bigger government or smaller government? The answer is bigger. He's a Democrat. He's a liberal. He wants bigger government. He wants more of your personal money to be sent to the government so he and his elitist establishment career politicians can decide what to do with it because, and I quote, you are too dumb to know what's good for you. That's the whole belief. And I think it's pathetic because I'm the opposite of that. I think we should give them as little as possible to do the bare minimum, which is to protect us, and we should do for ourselves. Truth in the middle, by the way. But the answer is more to the government is always going to be bad for us. Let's talk about immigration. Pretty simple gig right there, right? You know, how people come in the country. Seems really simple. It's not that simple. He's for open borders. Okay? Let's picture the refugees from Syria. You know, the country that hates us, the country who really, really harbors terrorists. You know, the country that has a lot of ISIS people in it. Right. We're going to take, oh, I don't know, one to 500,000 of them in. The way the process works is it comes through the, secret, you know, the State Department. Sure. Okay. They can't vet them. Come on in anyway, guys. Gets worse. They're refugees. So they're almost like a witness protection program. They're not a, we're not allowed to know who they are and where they are. They're protected more than you and I are. And they're from a terrorist nation. Doesn't that smell bad on every level? So I just went from immigration and jumped right into national security. Funny, they're connected. Yep. We'll get to a little bit later. Point is this. National security also has, besides terrorism, besides refugees, also has other slots. What about a $20 trillion national debt? You don't think? You don't think that's an issue? Let's go down this path. $20 trillion in debt, $4 trillion at the Fed, emergency rates at the Fed of 0.37. Fine. What happens if we were to have an economic issue hit us in two months, six months' time? A catastrophe, and we went hard south, and the markets tanked again. The economy tanked again. You're already in emergency rates. What do you do? Go negative? You've already spent $4 trillion. Grant, let's, let's perspective this. $800 billion before the crisis. They spent $3.2 trillion to shore up the financial markets. Quantitative easing. Just other people's money. What about the $20 trillion? Oh, that's right, because we haven't balanced a budget in 
over eight years. Funny. So as we continuously deficit spend, as we have a very slow growth economy, as we have $4 trillion in the Fed already, as we already are on emergency rates because they won't raise because, quote-unquote, there's international upheaval, what if we have that next issue? What bullets are in the gun still? What tools does the Fed still have in their toolbox? The answer is none. Print money? Congratulations, we're Venezuela. That's how close we are to the precipice. The reason I say it that way is, who was along for the ride? Yep, Uncle Chuck. Back in the 1990s, surplus. Now, down $20 trillion. Who was there for every single dollar spent? That's right, Chuck Schumer. Did he stand the way? No, no, no. Remember, he wants big government. He likes big government. He likes overspending. In fact, and here's the kicker, he wants to raise taxes like Hillary Clinton does. I say it that way because when you're growing, last three quarters, 0. 0.8, 0. 0.9, and 1.4% of GDP, do you really think raising taxes excites the economy? Do you really think that raising taxes creates jobs? Here's a statement, folks, from me to you. Remember it. It's important. At no point in the history of history has anyone ever raised taxes and the economy gets faster. Never in the history of the planet has that happened. I'm going to say it again. Slower. At no point has anyone ever raised taxes and the economy gone faster previously? So let me get this right. We're about to, quote unquote, elect someone who wants to consciously slow down our economy, hurt job creation, hurt me and you. Because the belief in big government is that powerful and that completely overwhelming in their soul. Yep, that's the expectation. Two options. Pull the lever for somebody else or pull the lever for Chuck Schumer and just kiss it goodbye. Because he's never met a spending bill he didn't like. All right, so we covered the Contract America. The interesting piece of the Contract America, the reason I read it, Donald Trump came out with them recently. I was like, dude, thanks for catching up. I know. It's not related, but it, to me it was a little humorous or a little interesting, the connection piece. The very interesting, I'm going to start here. He had a, uh, a stop in Charlotte today, and he spoke, and for him, I'm going to say it was a rather intimate setting, smaller group. It wasn't 25,000. It was a much, much, much smaller group. We'll probably call it hundreds. 
and it was specifically African Americans. It was specifically directed to target inner cities. It was a very I thought it was a very humble presentation. It was it was it was in, insightful in tune. And again, just to be clear, I am not on the Trump train. I agree with probably 60-70% of what he says. I don't like the personality piece. I don't like how undisciplined he is and how he does what he does. But I think he's closer to what we need because she's a horror show. She has nothing but policies for 30 years that have buried this country. That's a fact. That's a statement. I won't debate that with anybody on the planet. Ask yourself this if you're in an inner city right now. Having spent trillions under democratic control, how do you feel about those apples? It's the reason you have the problems you do. They give you just enough to keep you there. It's horrible. I give Trump a lot of credit. I'm not a young man. Not old, but I'm not a young man. My entire lifetime, I don't remember any GOP really making it a point to go actively have these conversations. I give him tremendous credit. Backhanded, by the way, insult to the GOP, to the Republicans. Where you been? If the Democrats didn't get it done for decades, where have you been? Why didn't you sell this message truthfully, honestly, sincerely? These are people. They have needs. They have wishes. They have wants. If you're truly the big tent party, where have you been? So I give Donald Trump a lot of credit for simply having the wherewithal, if that's a word, to stand and deliver, to be there and speak to that audience. Because I have a tip for you. It's a really important audience. One, I think he has a lot to gain. I think they are the thirst the thirsty man coming of the desert. Okay? That hungry person that just, no matter what you feed them, they'll, they'll glom it down because it just, they, 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 they have a need. And that's an insult to anybody. It's, it's like being ignored, thinking attention, even from the wrong person, that attention is wanted, right? You'd rather have the right attention, but, but even the wrong attention, at least you're getting something. At least there's an attention. Someone's talking to you. I don't doubt his sincerity, but I will be curious to see his follow-through, because that's critical. I'm not at all someone who believes in insincerity. Say what you mean, and do what you say. It's not complicated, people. Politicians tend to screw it up more than get it right. Say what you mean, and do what you say. Because the say, the, the, the say what you mean is easy. That's me on the radio. The do what you say, that's the follow-through piece, right? Because the vote that we cast November 8th is trust. Do you trust who you pull the lever for to get it 
done. So let's, let's talk about the economic piece, and we'll start to piece this together on who you should pull lever for. So yesterday we talked about you know, the, the economy, and there are different pieces. I'm going to try to snapshot it together in the big chunks because the economy had things that are, I'm going to say they're a little complicated, but to me, it's critical you understand how they come together. First, the federal government spends around 21 or 22% of GDP currently. Historical run rates around 18. We have bloated this government up under Obama. Fact. Two, the deficit we spend is because we have a bloated government. We do not have a money issue with regard to the revenue stream, the tax stream. We have a spending issue problem. It's a statement. It's not negotiable, guys. Think about if you have a, a budget in your own home. Your income is 2000 net a month, 3000 net a month. Pick a number. It doesn't matter. That's all you can spend. Pull something in the bank, spend the rest. So between the mortgage, the car payment, the car insurance, you know, the phone bill, utilities, you know, got to pay for some food, maybe some you know, bills for the kids, whatever it is, the money starts to dry up pretty quick. You get that little extra left over. What's that fun money going toward? Is that something you, you, you put in the pocket for a rainy day? Is that something you spend for toys because it's close to a birthday or Christmas? Is that, you know, you know, you know cigarette money? Just go out and have fun money? No idea. That's your call, not mine. That's part of individual liberty, right? But you've got to reduce the scope and size of government to make it happen. Number two, you've got to find other ways to get revenue that you didn't already have without taking it from the American people that will hurt. Things like a value-added tax on energy exports. That's found money. Things like changing the gas tax from a dollar figure to a percent. When oil goes up, we just simply make more money in the government to take off pressure from the other discretionary money that goes away because people can't afford to go out as much, etc. Things like pay-as-you-go. See, one of the things politicians love to do is they love to spend other people's money but they don't really want to be given a check for it. You know, I want to go out and have a really nice dinner. I just don't ever want to see the bill. Because that's the reality check. And that's really, really not healthy. Things like job creation. You know, things like America First or a repatriation tax on the trillions overseas. Now, see, I differ with Kevin Brady, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. I differ with Donald Trump. I wouldn't bring it back for free. I would bring it back with a 15% tax, which would be the corporate tax rate, by the way. So they'll save 20%. They'll be thrilled. It'll come back home and they get to use it. They'll be thrilled. But that 15% goes to the Small Business Administration directly for minority business creation within the inner cities. You've got to deal with entitlements. 
and get that to be a smaller beast. No one's going to mention entitlements because it's toxic. When you're a career politician, you can't mention that. You have to give every single expectation that I will be there for you. I will never touch it. In fact, we're going to increase entitlements. Okay, it's all a lie, by the way, because in 13 years, the wheels come off. They should have dealt with this decades ago, but they're cowards. That's right, I said it. They're cowards. They know it's going to happen, and they don't care because they don't be in office when it happens. Make bank on that. Think about the people who voted Obamacare in and then resigned, retired, didn't run for re-election. Think about that. I'm going to bury the economy with one-sixth of it being stuck in health care that doesn't work. And by the way, I'm going to go out to pasture, pension for the rest of my life. Cowards. I don't have time for them. Need to deal with health uh, care in a real way. Obamacare, in case you live under a rock, is failing. It's failing horribly. Now, let's talk through Obamacare, because to me it's a poster child, not of something great, of what should never, ever be allowed to happen again. It's one of the reasons I started FixNation.com five years ago. It's one of the reasons I stand in front of you today and talk like this. It activated me, the normal human being, into a politician, candidate, activist, whatever you want to call it, whatever it is that I am. Obamacare, and just let's just soundbite it, it was passed in the dark of night. It was written exclusively by Democrats behind closed doors. It was passed, voted on and passed, and then read. It sucks up one-sixth of the largest economy on the planet. It's not an option. It is a forced mandate of law that you must comply with. Okay. Let's go back and slow this down. One, what a horrific offensive process because you can do it politically is not the same thing as that you should do it politically. I got a tip for you. Let's flip it over. Okay? You have a Republican president with a Republican Senate with a Republican House, and they force feed you something like mandate that every man, woman, and child must own and carry a gun. Let's just mandate that. Well, think about it if you're, if you're religious, you're a pacifist, if you're against guns, if, if, you are, if you're terrified of guns, but it's forced on you. Well, get over it. It's forced. Government says you have to. You have to. But I don't want to. It doesn't matter. It's forced on you. But, it, but it's not going to be healthy for me. Get over it. But I don't want to spend money on that. doesn't matter. Get over it. Spend it. And if you don't buy a gun, if you don't carry a gun, we're going to find and penalize you. In fact, we're going to send the IRS 16,000 agents after you to enforce this, to make sure you buy that gun, make sure you carry that gun, and each year you've got to buy a brand new gun. Now just think if that's politically offensive to you, how you'd feel that it was being 
forced on you. Let alone if it's good for the country. We never got to that piece, did we? We just dealt with the force piece. And that's kind of my point. The process was horrific. When you're dealing with one-sixth of the economy, when you deal with something that's so substantive, you need to have a dialogue at the state level, at the local level. You need to get all walks of life involved. You need to kick the tires and try different angles and then come up with the best practices on everything to get the best possible legislation and then run that through. It's not a shocker that 70% of the population rebelled against this very law the split second it got passed. So a couple hundred people who are elitist ideologues in Washington get their way, and the rest of Americana has to pay the price forever? That's not right. And I'd say the exact same thing if it was Republicans who did it with their issue in the exact same way. I'd say the exact same thing. I'd say with just as much passion. The process means everything. If you can't believe in the system, you don't have a system. Fight the good fight. Do it the right way. Sell it with logic, not emotion. Get me to understand the why I should vote for that. Not force me to have to just capitulate. That's not America. Reagan worked with Tip O'Neill and got things done. Bill Clinton worked with Newt Gingrich and got things done. Everyone before Obama always worked with the other side of the aisle and got things done. And then came Obama. And like a baseball bat to the forehead, nope. My way the highway, ideologue, bang. And here we are in 2016, and I got a tip for you. We have one ideologue left in the race, and her name is Hillary Clinton. She doesn't negotiate. She won't work with the other side. She won't get things done. It'll be four more years of Obamacare and Obama policies all over again. You think the Republicans are going to work with her? Do you truly think the Republicans wouldn't raise taxes with Obama, but they're going to raise taxes for Hillary? Ask yourself that question. There's zero chance. Do you think she signs off on legislation that lowers taxes for all of us? No. We're in the exact same boat as we were for the last eight years if she gets elected. That's lunacy. Because no offense, the last eight years have not been really fun. America has suffered over the last eight years because our politicians both sides of the aisle, I might add, have it, got it, done. Not really debatable. So fiscal responsibility, tax policy, job creation, take care of health care. We're going to jump back, jump back to education in a minute. Let's go to things like immigration. Touch on earlier. Immigration is not something that build a wall covers, not nearly. If you go back and do research, and I did, the Immigration Act of 1790 starts it all, and there are three kind of tenets that run all the way through all, all 
immigration. You can go, by the way, you can go to FixNation.com, read my immigration platform. It's a, it's a piece. It's not Trump's. It's not Hillary's. It's a different position piece. There are three things about immigration we kind of have to keep in mind because we, the country, for hundreds of years have always believed that you need to be in good standing to come here. You need to be good for this country to come here, meaning you want what's right by us. And three, you're going to assimilate into our culture when you come here. Those three things ripple through every single Immigration Act ever written. Up until now. Because if Hillary has her ways, she wants unvetted refugees simply to come in and do what they want. Have their world and we need to adjust to them. She wants to focus on families first. That's her line, not mine. Families first. She wants to focus on the immigrant. That's never in the history of hundreds of years of immigration ever been done. That's liberal speak. It's wrong and it's bad for America. It's not wrong because I'm Republican. It's not wrong because I don't agree with her. It's wrong because it's not the way America does things. Immigration means they adjust to us, not the other way around. It's illogical and it's also brutally un-American. National security. All these things are related. Immigration has an economic twist to it. You're going to take 12 million people and deport them? Really? I wouldn't do that, by the way. I don't think it's logical. I don't think Trump will end up doing that. I personally think it's a negotiation piece. Immigration also has a national security twist to it. But national security also has an economic reliant piece to it. How can you be $20 trillion in debt, $4 trillion in the Fed, and not consider that to be a risk? If you had a crisis right now, don't you think? think what if there was some kind of a quote-unquote 9-11 part two? God forbid. Think about that. How would we handle that? Where would the money come from to start to piece our world back, back again? being as brittle and and overspent as we are. Foreign policy. Here's one I love. When you're looking at the election of 2016, I want you to think about who got us, foreign policy-wise, into most of the things we are currently involved in. Because most we're involved with, most of the chaos we're dealing with, happened literally on Hillary Clinton's watch. Literally. The Middle East, in a short version, is on fire right now. It's an absolute chaos. There's almost not one stable country. There's not a good relation to be found. We're about to lose Turkey, and we need Turkey strategically. We almost lost Egypt, and we need Egypt. And if you don't understand the the strategy behind that, we're going to skip that for a different day. But make bank on this. Very tough to have any kind of grip on the Middle East and, and relations if some of the big players that are more developed and don't do business. That's craziness. When all the uprisings happen over there, 
Oh, let's encourage it. Yeah. What'd that get you? Benghazi happened. Good luck with that. Still waiting for a response. Still waiting for truth, I might add. So foreign policy, I don't know how you could trust her with that again in this election. Truly don't. Poverty. We're going to end there. One of the interesting things was uh, reading the Main Street Marshall Plan written by the National Urban League. And I did a show on it months ago. And uh, I happen to agree with the focus of it, with the goals of it. I don't agree with their steps on how to get to the goals. And let me explain. The, the, the premise of the article that I read was we spent trillions of dollars over decades and haven't moved the needle. That's in a nutshell what it said. I said, completely right. I agree. So, and this is the, the president of the National Urban League who wrote it. So what we want to do is this plan, and it lists off like 12 or 15 things. And most of which read, spend money over the next decade. And the first thing I had was, what? I went down line by line and like, nope, that's not going to happen. Yep, I like that one. Nope. Well, what about this? And, and I went into problem-solving mode because that's, that's what we need in Washington, D.C. That's what you need to elect, people who want to problem-solve. If they're going to bring you the no, no, no to the opposition or the no, no, no to why they can't do something, they're part of the problem. They need to bring you a solution on how to get life better for you. That's the job, people. You don't want it. Don't run. But don't run because you want the job but not want to do the job. The job is not campaigning. The job is to get things done for the American people. So if you're a president or a senator or a congressman, there's an obligation attached. You get elected. Do the right thing by the people. Which brings back to why you should protest vote and vote for John Jensen U.S. Senate in the state of New York as a writing candidate. I say that for a reason, guys. If you think that Chuck Schumer is going to get it done for you after 18 years of not getting it done for you, wake up. Tigers don't grow new stripes. But poverty. Trump was in Charlotte today. He talked to inner city people. And there's, again, think about Blue Lives Matters versus Black Lives Matter. Dallas, Baltimore, my God, all over the place, these things just pop up out of nowhere. It's really nasty, really quick. Ask yourself a simple question, why? Because there's a lot of anger. Now, I'm angry for a different reason, but they're angry because they don't have hope. That's different. And when it comes to inner cities particularly, and I'm going to try to stay from, away from a racial piece to this, although it's there. Multiple issues down in that particular quagmire. You need to fix the education piece. You need to fix the job creation piece. 
You need to fix the criminal justice piece. You need to fix the relations of minorities in our city people and people like the politicians or the or the police. You need to create a bridge. Do it by simply throwing crumbs and let them eat a little bit just to stay alive, but not to really be satisfied. Not nearly enough. Trump gets that. We can't do it by spending trillions over decades because, no offense, it doesn't work. The policies have failed. Education, easy example. We spend the most money by far of anybody on the planet and we're ranked number 27th in the world in education. I got a tip for you. I don't spend Ferrari money to buy a Yugo. Don't do it. I'll spend Yugo money to get a Yugo. I won't at all spend Ferrari money and get a Pinto, a Yugo, some kind of a crappy car. No offense to either one of those companies. You get my point, right? We need to get what we pay for. The educational system in the U.S., in my opinion, is broken. One of my platforms is to eliminate the Department of Education at the federal level. Advisory panel, shove everything back to the states. Let them decide what's good and bad for their kids. New Yorkers, when's the last time you were proud of the education your kids got, that you got? I got a tip for you. My kids come home. It's a joke. Common core. Seriously? We used to be proud that New York had the best educational system in the country. I don't think I can say that anymore. And that's sad. It's nothing to the teachers. It's what they're allowed to do. It's how they're taught how to do. No child left behind? Throw that one out the window. Kids should be left behind. Not every kid has it to meet the bar we need to meet doesn't mean they can't get an education. It means they need to get a different type of education because they'll probably have a different lot in life. Sounds mean. It's not. It's equally mean to hold a great kid back than a bad kid and force them through a system that they're not ready to handle. Because what happens when they come out of high school? That's right. They fail in life because they're not ready. Why? Because we, the big boys and girls on the planet, called the adults, me and you, didn't make decisions that were good them, that challenged them, that inspired them. We didn't put them in position to succeed. We put them in position to fail. When they fail, who gets blamed? We should, not them. So tonight when he was talking to Charlotte, one, he sounded humble. And again, not on the Trump train. But that's a very strong message, and it's very real. And I think it resonates. I'm curious what the next few days, meaning 12, bring as we bring this election home. Because there's a lot of truth in New York. I'm talking to you right now. Anybody who's in the state of New York, please retweet the, retweet the link to this broadcast or anything about me. And get the word out. Because New York needs a lot of the same things. We need lower taxes from the federal level so we can compete here and keep jobs here. We need 
educational reform so we can be the best again here for us and our kids for generations. We need a smaller, more nimble government so it can get shoved back to us and get that debt paid down. There's no way to spend money you don't have and be healthier later on in life. It doesn't work that way. We need immigration reform. That's not a racist comment. That's a protecting America comment. It's doing the right thing and getting everybody in line. We need to have a hierarchy of, of countries that we do business with. I call it an ally algorithm, where we calculate who's an ally and who's a terrorist nation, every in between. It's five steps. Measurable things. That's not mean toward any country, but you are what you are. Or as Bill Parcell says, you are what your results say you are. If you don't treat us well, we shouldn't treat you nice. Ask yourself a simple question. Why do we give $170 billion to Iran? Why are we giving them another $1.5 trillion? Because we're stupid? You can keep talking all you want. But I can't understand that because there are people in this country that need it. And we give it to a terrorist nation for, quote-unquote, not negotiating for hostage. Yeah. So that being said, my name is John Jensen. I am, in fact, running as a writing candidate for U.S. Senate for the state of New York. I would absolutely love to have your vote. I need your vote against against Chuck Schumer. He's done nothing for you. Why would you pull the lever for Chuck Schumer? So when you vote on November 8th, I encourage you to vote. Vote for change. Vote for John Jensen. Write me in for the U.S. Senate from the state of New York. You have my promise. I will fight every day for what I talk about now. I will always talk about because we need to win this for all of us, for New York. God bless.